Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 193, all about Seth, recorded May 17th, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroll, and joining me this week uh, after his two-week absence is Seth the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, Seth. Hey, Mark, and hello to everybody out there in EDL land. I, well, no, it's not that I really miss y'all, but I am glad to be back. <laughs> so, sorry, didn't miss you, but, you know, I'm, I am glad I'm back. So we're going on about a month of shows since everybody's been together. So I can't say stalwart co-host because stalwart means always dependable. It hasn't worked out that way. Chris isn't with us uh, this week uh, because he flaked out. Uh, no, it, apparently somebody did something and he couldn't come. Um, there you go. So it's just Seth, but that's okay because the show is about Seth this week. We, a couple weeks ago, we did a an all about Chris episode. Um, so this week we're going to do an all about Seth episode. And again, just uh, I, I said this earlier. This is I've known these guys for a while. We 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 do the show every week. Uh, we we talk about stuff. We talk about each other's lives. But we've never actually taken the time to delve into the host. These people that you've listened to for 193 shows. Uh, well, I think Seth uh, has missed uh, maybe let's say a dozen total, uh, 180 something shows. Um, so, you know, let's, let's learn a little bit about these guys. So tonight I'm going to be interviewing our good friend Seth, who's been away, uh, at, uh, in Hawaii for the last couple of weeks. So Seth, let's just jump straight into there. Tell us about the awesomeness that is Hawaii. Dude, I mean, it, you know, there was, there was a chance I might not have came back because my sister-in-law works, has a teacher and the school she works at had an open tech position. And apparently the person they have like can pick a computer out of a group of objects on a desk. Uh, that was his qualification. <laughs> That's his skill. Huh? Yeah. But I didn't like, I didn't have any long pants or, and I didn't really want to go looking up and updating my resume. So I was just like, yeah, forget it. I'll come back home. <laughs> but, um, it's a great place to visit. Uh, you know, you can look off in one direction and there's a mountain. You can turn and look the other direction and there's the ocean. Uh, so, you know, I, I like mountains. I like oceans. So that's really cool. I enjoyed it laid back, kind of slower pace lifestyle. Um, you don't really want to listen to podcasts at 2.5 speed while you're in Hawaii, <laughs> but, but it's nice to just take it easy. So do, do you uh, find I, that your internal clock slowed down over the two weeks that you were there? I don't know that my internal clock slowed down, but it was more in sync with the world around me. So, um, I'm pretty laid back, slow going person most of the time. And, uh, it, I fit over there. And, uh, the cool thing about it, uh, I spent three days in Oahu and then a week and a half with my brother. And since I was only going to be in Oahu three days, I said, what the heck? And so I stayed at a resort. So, uh, you know, most places in Hawaii aren't. $350 a night, but I found I'm going to be there for a couple of days. So I did that. But then when I went to my brother's, we would do like one thing a day. So we weren't uh, like, you know, rushing around. I'm tired. I can't wait to get back home so I can rest. It was like one day we went to this one beach, you know, another day we went to a different beach. One day we went to this state park and uh, just kind of walked around, look some of the history there. This other day we went to Lahaina and did some things. So Nice, laid back, easy going, relaxing vacation. So I really, really enjoyed it. So were they working while you were there? 
Were you on your um, own from nine to five? No, my uh, sister-in-law, she is a teacher. So uh, she took, actually, she took one of the days off and we kind of were gone most of the day. My brother does odd jobs kind of and some construction type stuff. So he's a little bit more uh, open in his schedule. So he and I were there the whole time. And then, uh, like I say, um, you know, of course, school there, it's weird because they have a day off, it seems like, every week, apparently. And... um <laughs> They're done at two. So, you know, I didn't get up. Well, I mean, whenever we went to the beach, we'd go early because like my brother's a lot like me. We I just lost. lost. Are you back? I am back. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Darn Skype connection. <laughs> Darn this free software that lets us do all this stuff. Um, but so, um, you know, the beaches aren't fun for me when tons of people are on them, but we would go in the morning like eight or nine o'clock. And so by 11 and 12, when people show up, I've spent three hours at the beach, played around the wave some, I'm ready to go home. So that kind of worked out cool. But, um, otherwise, you know, I wouldn't, if it were going to be something we were doing that day or afternoon, you know, it'd be 10, 11 o'clock before I really kind of even contemplate doing anything. Well, that's so that's nice. Did you get your fill of spam yeah. while you were there? No, actually, I did not eat any spam. So, uh, I, I was shocked, you know, but, uh, my yeah. wife has actually lived her entire life without eating spam. What? Um, and I'm, I'm not inclined to break that streak for her because I don't like the stuff. Uh, so we, I did buy like a tiny little, uh, sample size as, as sort of a threat, but it's right. in the pantry for like five years and got thrown away. <laughs> I mean, I've had spam before, and it's not like well, I gotta have spam, but I I don't mind it. So, uh, so I I want to mention before we get too far, I had I talked about it I think last week. This idea for a show I have called Stump the Sultan. Seth, did you listen to that description? I did listen to it. Um, it are, sounds are you pretty, down with that? You know, I would be. I would love it, but of course I would love to have Stump the Gooey Kid too, because well, we I love, too. you know, I love making up answers that may or may not be right. I really enjoy that. Um, the one thing I would say is we would, you know, we would each contribute however much money and like the winner picked the charity rather than the, so we're well, no, all contributing here's what the I, same I, amount. We're doing Stump the Sultan. So right. I pick the charity. When we're doing Stump the Gooey Kid, you pick the charity. Well, no, but if you couldn't answer it though, oh, okay, then we picked it. So, okay, you know, kind of, kind of that way. At that, so. I, I mean, if I, I like, I get, I see where you're going, but you can end up having a very small. It's going to be a small donation anyway, right? But right, it would end up yeah. being like five dollars here and seven dollars there and nine dollars here. I think having so my my plan was so I get it. You guys can't tell whether I'm right or wrong. You each put a dollar in. And, and okay. if I, if I get, if you can, then I put a dollar in. So, um, the idea is, you know, between the two of us, uh, between the three of us, it might be like $75. Uh, you start splitting that up and it gets to be a, a donation. So, so, so small. It's, it's almost not worth the, the effort. Yeah. So anyway, that, so. uh, to, to bring that back to the audience, what I was going to say is the idea is, uh, you submit questions about anything. Doesn't have to be about tech. And I have to answer them. So the, the questions will go to Seth and Chris. I won't see them ahead of time. They will cold ask me the questions on the show. And the idea is not for me to give a right answer, but for me to give an answer so plausible 
that you don't know if it's right or wrong. So Chris and Seth are the judges. And if I give an answer and between the two of them, they say, you know, that kind of sounds about right. Then, then I win. And, and if it is right, of course it's right. Um, uh, but if, if I give a wrong answer, but it sounds plausible and neither of them can honestly poke a hole in it, then, then they, uh, I guess we'd have to have the, the listener would have to give the right answer too. So we uh, somehow we'd have to work that out. The details are still in it, but I just thought it would be fun. Uh, it was just a, a boulder dash skills just to see how good I am at, uh, at expu- expectorating bullish stuffings. Um, and then, um, Seth wants to, to do it. I don't think it doesn't sound like the sort of thing Chris would want to do, but if he wants to, we'll do a, a stump the command line Godfather too. But uh, Seth is in. He wants to do a, a separate show. That'll be another show down the line. We won't put them back to back, but it, just, it sounds like fun. So I say that to say this. If you have questions, send them to either Chris at elementop.com or Seth at elementop.com and, uh, and they will store the questions up and between the two of them when they think we've got enough you know 20 or 30 questions uh we'll we'll do a show so i think it'll be fun uh i guess you'll decide whether you think it'll be fun by sending in your questions yeah and i do have a uh seth at elementop.com email address so. so yeah uh so that way that i won't see any of the the questions ahead of time but speaking of seeing seth you did catch up on some netflix while you were away so tell us about your daredevil experience Yes, my brother has a Netflix. And so because you had raved about it and we were like sitting around one afternoon with you or one evening, what do you want to do? Well, you know, Netflix. I was like, Hey, my, my friend is always talking about Daredevil. And so we watched it and it was awesome. Um, we spread it out over the week. So, you know, a couple of nights we did. I think like one or two nights we did three episodes, but the other nights we did two so we could finish them all while I was there and even hit uh, my sister-in-law. She actually enjoyed them. I mean, she wasn't as into the story because, you know, she wasn't into comics, but she was like, that's really good. So, um, I really, really enjoyed them. Um, so you've seen the whole, uh, the whole series. Yes. All 13 episodes. Very, so- very good. I wanted to hit that point because it's not, yes, it's good for comic book nerds, but it's a good story. It's good movie. It's good theater. If you're into, you know, LA law or, or anything like that, you'll like this too. So it's really easy to get good spousal approval because the, uh, the, the actors are first rate and the storyline is really good. And I, I, it's like a, like a slot machine in a casino. There's never a big payoff, but there's a little payoff here and a little payoff there. And it's enough to keep you pushing that bar, looking for more, because every episode gives you just a little bit more and it leaves you just a little bit hungry. And I love that about it. Yeah. And Daredevil wasn't one of my favorite superheroes growing up, so I'm not intimately familiar with his story, but I was familiar enough that and they got him close enough. You know, I love the comics, but I don't just want to see the comic book on screen because otherwise, you know, I've already, I read that in episode in issue 172 when I was right. 10, big deal, but it's the character and they're true to his character. Um, but they just kind of, you know, obviously he came out in like either the sixties or seventies. I don't remember when. So, you know, they've updated it and they've kind of compressed it. Um, but it was really good. Um, I, I, um, Vincent D'Onofrio did a great job playing Kingpin. I didn't like kind of how they portrayed him some, but that could have just been a layer of characterization. Right. And he is set up well, I think maybe for a season two and beyond. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so, the, there's a, there's a big scene 
uh toward the end of the the series the like uh minute 40 of the the last episode where kingpin has this sort of revelation uh, right and the way he tells the story and the way they reveal that is so masterful because up up until that point he's wilson fisk and in that moment he becomes kingpin and right. that it's so powerful at that moment yeah um if anything they in the comics kingpin you know he was he was a big man and he looked fat but it was pure muscle in the right. comics. And so he wasn't, he was abnormally large, but he wasn't really super powered. He was just like 400 pounds of muscle and could beat the crap out of you. And so they did a good job of, I think, showing him being super strong, but, uh, or super or above average strength. But right. I think they kind of played some of it off a little bit on into the clothes he was wearing. But again, it was close enough and it was really good. And, superb i i loved foggy i thought he was great and um just uh, all around but yes it's very violent very violent so right if you're squeamish not for you but if you can look past it they weren't violent just for hey how much can we outblood 300 right. you know they, they didn't do that it was integral to the story and um, one of the and problems with done. It, one of the problems with the violence is it's not it's not a you know when to look away kind of violence because right. it is so intricately woven into the story. It happens and you can't you can't see it coming. Um, and I mean you know that they're in a fight, but you don't right. know how badly this guy's going to get mangled in the fight. So and and the fight is so good that you don't want to look away. So th- I think that's what makes the violence all the more jar- jarring is that it's it seems so natural that you really feel it more than. You know, like like three hundred, where the blood is so over the top that it 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 doesn't feel as real. It doesn't feel as violent, even though it's more gory. It feels less violent than this because it feels so real. When that guy's arm gets you know ripped in half, you really feel it because it's just and which doesn't happen by the way. It was just an example. You really feel it because it's just such a powerful moment. Um, and and I think that's what makes it feel more violent than maybe it really is. It's good solid PG thirteen. It's not R. Uh, but it's hard PG thirteen. Yeah, today definitely PG thirteen. Um, f- ten years ago or so, it probably would have been R. Yeah, maybe. Uh, for a while there, there was there was only PG and R, and there were so many things that got rated PG that that were way just like one F word away from being R. Uh, that's where this whole PG thirteen thing came from. And this one, I think, is you know like maybe one <laughs> one side boob away from being R. It's it's like that, right? Um, so I'm glad you got to see it. You also saw Avengers age of Ultron. Now you heard my treatment of it. What do you, what do you have to say about it? You know, to me, it's like every other number two in the, um, Marvel universe. I, I honestly, I, it's not that I didn't like it. If there hadn't been an Avengers, I would have said that that's a good movie, but compared to the first one, it did not have the pop. Now, I mean, visually, you know, some of it was great. And there was a couple of scenes like I love the interplay between Hawkeye and Quicksilver, the way they kind of barbed each other. Right. That part was good. But has a movie, the emotional investment, the emotional payoff. It just they didn't do a good. But then again, I I didn't like Thor 2. Um, I didn't like the second Captain America either. So, see, and I, I thought both of those were better than the original one. 
I thought Captain America Winter Soldier was better than Captain America. I thought Captain America was the worst of the Marvel Series 2 movies. I thought or it was actually Phase 1. I thought it was terrible, uh, but that's just me. Um, and uh, Thor 2, I thought, was better than the original Thor. The stories didn't pull me in. I didn't. Li- I didn't like them as much. Yeah. So you know, as far as a movie, you know, I know you're you're a lot more of an aficionado of the science of the movie right. than I am. I'm more of a. Did I enjoy it? Was I rooting? Was I like go go go? You know, that's more how I view them. And so, it just. I mean, you know, it wasn't. You can't say it was more or less believable. But to me, it was too, it was too, um, formula, formulamatic. Is that a formula? That's a word I will use. Um, it, it was, you know, it was just too much of here's the formula. Right. We have to do this. Then we have to do that. And this has to happen. And that has to happen. The, the story didn't grip me enough to where it didn't matter that this was a formula. It was like, Oh, here this comes. Oh, here this comes. Oh, and one thing. Uh, James Spader was awesome, has Ultron, that voice. He was perfect for mm-hmm. that. But he was a weak wimp compared to Ultron in the comics. They did not do him justice. So I, I um, think it, well, I'll talk a little more about it based on some listener feedback later on. But I think it fell victim to the same thing that the third Spider-Man movie fell victim to. Just trying to put too many characters in too small a space. Um, and they they just tried to do too much. I mean, Vision could have had his own movie. Right. Ultron could have had his own movie. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch together could have had their own movie. And they tried to introduce these characters and weave them in in such ways that you made they made you care about them. And and as it was, it was a two and a half hour movie, but it wasn't enough to 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 care about these characters. Yeah, and that's probably the good thing about the first Avengers is there really weren't any new characters in that movie. You had already seen Black Widow, Hawkeye, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, and you'd already seen Loki. So, um, cause it, yeah, th- Thor came out before. When had we seen Hawkeye? I don't uh, he, well, he was in Thor. Was he? I didn't remember that. Yeah, he was, he was the, you didn't see a lot, but he was the guy looking up and reported to Nick Fury whenever Thor was at the place and couldn't lift the hammer. So Hawkeye was there. So again, you know, you, you didn't kind of know it. And, uh, but at least the character had already been introduced and you had seen a little something of in shield he's one of the he's one of the bad people that can uh that all the other people in shield say he's better than me just by the way he acts so you know you'd already kind of seen him a little bit all right so uh yeah we'll get back to that in a little bit but i i wanted to touch on this a little bit um i'm due to the ordering of of priorities on my dvr my kids uh had recorded uh two things at the same time that they had rated as a higher priority than agents of shield so i missed the finale of agents of shield and that simply won't do uh, <laughs> i was i've been working crazy uh, hours uh the last few weeks and that was that was a late shift for me that uh that night and so i missed it um so i um wanted to go to hulu and I just want to—I've—I've I've played around with Hulu before, but based on my experience with watching Avengers, or excuse me, uh, Agents of Shield on Hulu, I can now 100% without a doubt say Hulu sucks. Um, so you—you uh, you can watch it on your laptop, and that's free. 
But why would I want to do that when I've got a Roku uh, already? So I threw the Hulu app on my Roku, and it, it makes you pay 8 bucks a month to do that. It's free on the laptop, but on any mobile device or any other device, you got to get the Hulu Plus, which is $8 a month. But there was a one-week free trial. So, okay, great. I'll give it a try. And if it's good, I'll, 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 I don't mind 8 bucks a month. I don't mind paying for something that's good. Right. So I signed up for the free trial. I loaded on, onto my Roku. I started watching Agents of Shield, and four minutes in, there's a commercial break. What the heck? I'm paying you eight dollars a month, and you're going to show me ads, and there's no way to skip those ads or fast forward those ads. No, that's unacceptable. Um, and then, and not only that, but the little logo bug for the TV station that's local to Atlanta, CBS Two, whatever it was was on there. So they were literally just rebroadcasting me the capture from the air. It wasn't even um, you know, that it was a an unbranded sort of thing. So I'm paying eight dollars a month and seeing ads and seeing branding. So I uh, I watched the two episodes of Agents and Shield and I canceled my subscription and I will never go back because I just refuse to pay for something twice. I'm fine with either a membership or ads. Those are both methods of paying for things. But you are literally double charging me when you charge me for the service and make me watch ads. And I just will not accept that. So Hulu, um, now that you've moved to this new model of only Hulu Plus and no longer Hulu and Hulu Plus, which was weird anyway, because there was really no difference between Hulu and Hulu Plus except where you could put it. So now I officially brand you suck. Um, and I just want, I wanted to get that out there. It's a, it's a reasonable idea. But it's, you know, people often compare it to Netflix, but no, Netflix, for example, I can go to Arrow and see the last two seasons of Arrow all on, on Netflix. On Hulu Plus, you get like the last four episodes of the most recent ones. You don't, hmm. so it's, it's not even the full catalog. It's just recent stuff that you could probably already get if you went to the, the, the CBS or CW, wherever it's playing website. So it's like they're only serving you stuff that you could already get access to. Plus, they're making you pay for it. Plus, they're showing you ads. And it's just, it's a ridiculous business model. And I can't imagine how they're going to survive. Are you kidding? That's a great business model. They're making money on something you could get for free somewhere else. So they're not doing anything. They're taking somebody else's content and charging you money to view it. And That's not even bothering to rebrand it. That's right. the thing. They didn't even bother to take the logo off of it. It's the, it just says, we stole this over the air. We captured this off the airwaves, just like Aereo did. And the Supreme Court shot Aereo down, but for some reason, Hulu Plus is okay. Probably because I couldn't skip the ad. That's the difference. <laughs> Probably. But, you know, yeah, I, I think Hulu Plus is just, I mean, they're disgustingly pathetic. And I, ugh, I don't like them. So, yes, we agree on that. So if you're a big fan of Hulu, write me and tell me why, because I am not getting it. For Netflix, I totally get my value. Uh, I mean, plus, right? So recently they they split off. You used to get the DVDs and the streaming was free. And when they split those off, they started literally double charging me. My bill went from seven ninety five a month to, to fifteen ninety five a month. So it literally double charged me. But I still see the value of that. I get the DVDs because I I want to see uh, movies that are um, you know, sort of first run before they're available for streaming. Like uh, just the other day, I got Interstellar. I haven't watched it yet, but it would be a while before I'd get that on a streaming service. Um, so right. I'm willing to pay the money for the DVDs for that. And the streaming service gives me things like Daredevil, and I can go back and watch Arrow, and I can I can go watch you know uh, the other stuff. And so that I'm getting my value there. My kids watch it 
literally every day uh, watching their Disney Channel stuff and and whatever and and so I I, the, I get value for that I get more value than I, I I would pay more if they went up to thirty dollars a month for those two services I would pay it because I feel that I get value out of that after just a a couple of days I, admittedly I didn't give it long but just a couple of days experimenting with Hulu Plus I did not see any value at all it was negative value. I mean, yeah, the only value that Hulu Plus has is instead of going to CBS's website to watch the CBS shows and CW's websites to watch them and NBC's to watch them. So you aggregate those together. I mean, that's really the only value. I don't, is there, right. I don't think there's original Hulu Pro Plus programming, but. Um, there might be, but like, yeah, I mean, and that value isn't worth the crap you have to put up with to access it, in my opinion. And then one other thing I wanted to mention, I, I, one of the recent audio, audio, audible audio books of the day that was, you know, where you get a book for a couple of bucks was called how star Wars conquered the universe, uh, the past, present, and future, uh, and it sounded, you know, I grew up on on George Lucas's stuff. Uh, Star Wars came out when I was five years old, and I remember standing in a line that literally wrapped around the block uh, to see this movie. And this, the 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 only theater, of course, there wasn't a theater in the town I grew up in, but the 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 near the closest one to it had four or five screens, and they were all showing Star Wars. I remember <laughs> that. I was, uh, you know, I was a part of that. And so listening to this book, learning about the history of it and how they came together made me sort of Jones to go watch the, the original three again. Uh, so I've been doing that. Um, I, uh, had un the VHS versions from way back, but I'd converted those over and I have them on my media center. So I just wanted to say I'm, I'm watching the new Star Wars, uh, movies or watching the Star Wars movies again. Um, and just really, Re, re, rediscovering the beauty of those things. The, um, as you've mentioned, Seth, I, I've, I have studied and, and enjoy the science and art of filmmaking, not just as, is it a good movie, but, um, looking at it through an adult lens. So I've watched it just recently, maybe a couple of years ago for my kids. I introduced them to it the first time. And during that, I was watching them seeing do they get the same reaction i do and right and, and they did and it, it's one of those things that's timeless yes the visual effects don't stand up they're they're pretty cheesy particularly in the first one uh i was watching a little over turn of the jedi today and the uh the uh the big thing i forget what it's called reg reg something um that luke fights in the first uh, act of of the movie um you know the practical effects there still stand up pretty well some of the green screening is pretty obvious but that right. monster with all you know with the the slime dripping off of him the way the light hits him he still stands up and, and in fact it made me miss practical effects almost everything is digital now and as good as the hulk is he still doesn't look quite real he still looks a little cartoonish and, right. and he's the best you can get right now um and when you've got you know like hulk and uh um vision and uh ultron all on the screen at the same time as you do in age of ultron that entire scene is computer generated and it looks real but when you compare it to something that is real a practical effect a model or a miniature they, we're still not there yet and it kind of made me a little nostalgic for that but anyway i just wanted to say if you haven't watched it in a while go back and watch it with adult eyes because it not only does it still stand up but it'll it'll make you feel like a kid again Yeah, I will have to do that, especially, you know, with the, with the new ones coming out. So I'll remember right. what happened. 
And since I, you don't, you don't have any internet right now, you've you got time for that. Yes. Um. I was gone to Hawaii. Um. I. You know. Apparently, I can't leave East Texas for any amount of time, or just all hell seems to break loose. It has rained apparently every day since I left. And some people would say, "Oh, you're exaggerating." There was one day it didn't rain. Nope. Every no. day since I and when I pull up, I was in Hawaii. I pulled up the weather app and I looked at the forecast for Fruitvale. And for eight straight days, rain, 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 rain. And it's rained every day I've been here. And, um, like, if you've heard of the tornado in Van, Texas, that's received a lot of play in Texas. Um, you, that's pretty close to my house and some of my friends, their houses got destroyed. We had a lightning strike near our house. It, um, took out the, um, the wireless phone base. So I had to buy a new one of those. It fried my antenna. And so since we owned that antenna and we weren't leasing it from the company, it would be another couple of hundred dollars. But I thought, you know, for that, I'm just going to go with people's internet and get some. I'm going to start out at the four meg plan, um, cause it's only like $50 a month. And, um, so I'm like, I called them. And the 26th, they are scheduled to come out and do the install. So I'm just waiting. I will have usable internet at home. Uh, the tower is in, is in the town I live in. It's only a couple of miles from my house. So it's not like, you know, six or seven miles. It's like less than two. I am so looking forward to it. Nine days without internet. I'm not sure I could survive. Well, you know, I mean, I, I have work. Um, and my phone is, oh, this crappy old iPhone that shows no service most of the time at my house. So if I get really desperate, I can drive to, uh, you know, there's a McDonald's like eight miles from my house. I can get Wi-Fi at there. So, you know, I- I'm reading though, uh, I'm rereading my honor Harrington books. And when I'm reading them, Mark, I'm realizing, yeah, Mark would not like these at all. So if you haven't, <laughs> if, if you haven't took the next one on my rate, don't, because I'm like, no, he wouldn't like these, but I love them still. So I am, uh, I'm up to like, uh, book eight or nine, uh, going back through them again. So didn't you power through all of those in one weekend? No, no, that was the first, that was the Lost Fleet series. Okay. I did in one weekend. No, these, uh, money was a little tighter and it was like over the course of, I think it took me a year and a half, um, to, to get caught up to where now I buy the hardbacks when they come out. Um, because it, uh, the first one came out in 1990 and it was like 2013 before I heard about it. But I'm, I'm like looking on the author's website and there's like, there's no news of a new Honor Harrington book. And I'm like, come on, dude. It's been a year. I need, <laughs> You're almost I need catching it. up with him. No. Yeah. I mean, I'm like waiting. I'm like, it's been a oh, year. Man. I need a new book. Uh, all right, so let's get on to a little bit of listener feedback. And, and first, beginning with uh, Mark, not me, says he was unimpressed with Hawaii. He says, I may be the only person who's visited Hawaii and wasn't impressed. Way, way too expensive, especially Honolulu. To me, it's all, all it is is a big city with beaches and near-perfect weather. So is San Diego for a whole lot less money. So, Seth, I thought I'd let you comment on that. Yeah, um, first of all, Honolulu is very expensive. Uh, that is the tourist island and that's the tourist mecca of the world, apparently. Uh, lots of people from like Japan and China love to come there and shop. So, uh, yes. And it is over. It is, you know, here it's, yes, food is more expensive there, but not unreasonably. Uh, so stuff costs more. 
But again, you know, everything is imported because, you know, it's a it's an old volcano. So there's not a lot of land to grow or produce things. The thing that is unreasonable is the housing costs. Those are freaking ridiculous. But yeah, I I love your comment. It's only a big city with beaches and near perfect weather. Come on. Who would want that? So. uh, But yeah, no, it, it is awesome. And, uh, Maui was a lot more laid back. But, you know, of course, when I was on Honolulu, I could look out my window and kind of look to the left and see the beach, look kind of straight ahead. And there was, uh, Diamond Head, which is this just beautiful mountain to look at. So, you know, I mean, that's pretty cool. And, you know, the beaches in California, I mean, they're nice, especially compared to the beaches in Texas. But compared to uh the beaches in Hawaii, they really don't. Uh-huh. So, yeah, don't be impressed with perfect weather. <laughs> and, and nice beaches. Yes. Uh I think everybody should go to Hawaii once just because everybody wants to go to Hawaii. It's on my list. Um No particular reason. Yeah, I found the airfare that I couldn't pass up. So, uh, and the next uh, bit of feedback is about Age of Ultron. Richard, uh, just my quick two cents concerning the latest Avengers: Age of Ultron movie, and commenting on your review of it. I thought it was initially barely average, but after I really thought about it, it was just awful. I was so sorely disappointed that I would have to say the best part was when it ended. Awful awful offering for marvel love the first one watched it multiple times but this latest one was just a mess remember folks this is just my opinion so thank you richard for being a lightning rod so that somebody will finally comment on somebody being wrong other than me uh but you know again you're you're welcome to your opinion i don't think it was that bad i've said this before um you you can have a really good movie and you can have a really fun movie and for me they don't have to be the same thing uh it's nice if they are it's nice if it's a good movie that's fun um, Ultron was not. Ultron was fun. Guardians of the Galaxy was not a good movie, but it was a fun movie. So yes, Ultron has has flaws, uh, but it was still a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, uh, a lot of good action, a lot of uh, cool stuff. You know, there's a scene. This uh, this isn't a spoiler, but there's a scene where um Thor hits Captain America's armor and shoots the resulting energy wave forward to wipe out some bad guys stuff like that the teamwork between uh, this group you really get a sense that they are a team whereas the first one they were just sort of forming as a team those moments you you watch it and you go yeah um and when when i saw um vision take form um and it's it's a cool way they do it he he starts out looking one way and then as he interacts with the world he sees things that he likes and he starts adapting to those and when he finally sort of uh coalesces into the vision that that we all know i was literally giddy i was sort of you know like pumping my fist with excitement not because it was uh, a particularly good movie moment because it was a it was one of my favorite characters uh coming into being i mean it was the the person uh, the way they did it he was sort of the personification of jarvis who has been one of the best characters of the iron man and uh, uh avengers movies and they, they, he finally got a voice and a, and a figure, and it was so it was so gratifying to me to see Paul Bettany finally get on screen and and get to be able to do the awesome stuff that he does because Paul Bettany is just an amazing actor, and while he didn't get to shine, it made me hope that he would in the future. So you know there were moments like that that excited me enough that I'm not willing to call it an awful movie, um, but you know you're welcome to your opinion. Yeah, I I won't go near as far as you did. Like I say. 
it wasn't as good as the first one. And I, I wasn't disappointed that I saw it, but I didn't, I didn't love it like, uh, I did the first one, but I loved Guardians of the Galaxy. And for me, and again, technically whatever, but I loved the movie Guardians of the Galaxy. All right, then another bit of feedback from Greg, who comments on analog watch faces. I, I, I guess I did it on the show. I've commented before on the the idea. I don't understand why somebody would have a, a smart watch, an expensive watch, to put a analog watch face on it. So Greg has a comment on that. He says, I think the answer to why people put analog hands on a digital watch is because they we're all used to seeing hands on a clock. For me, it's much easier to look at an analog clock and see it's about 2.30. When I had a digital watch, I'd look at it and see that it read 2.32, and I'd have to think for a second for it to register what time it is um it also helps alleviate one of the most annoying things that happens when i ask my kids what time it is i get an answer like 356 or 712 i never need to know the exact time on top of that it's it's only the correct time if you know without a doubt that your watch is correct i know that a smart watch is dead on but my kids don't have smart watches and they don't update the time regularly uh to a known correct time just my two cents greg i i don't understand you you the language you were speaking was not english how would you in what world is about two thirty better than two thirty two? I don't, you you're you're a madman, Greg. And frankly, the world is better off uh, without uh, that kind of thinking. That's insane. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course, but uh, that's the way my brain works. I need I don't want to know. In fact, I make sure that my watch faces have second hands on them because two thirty two isn't good enough. I need to know that in seven seconds it'll be two thirty three. And if I don't get that level of precision, a little part of me dies inside. So that's just the the difference between us, Greg. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. I was I was trying to think of that. Like, if I say two thirty two, I don't think. Wait a minute, two thirty, and in my head, I don't see. Okay, that means the big hand is on the. Right. You know, so I just. I don't know if I buy his argument, but at the same time, you know. It is almost, and there's so many clocks in, you know, like, you know, banks or whatever, where they still show the dial. And it seems like there's a collective knowledge of, you know, when the big hand is on the 12 and the little hand's on the two, it's two o'clock. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, that's, uh, that, that's just a, a world of pain as far as I'm concerned. Why, why, would you, why would you want to live your life with, with uncertainty and inaccuracy? Uh, my kids have analog clocks because they have princesses on them and it's what they wanted. But in my, in my sphere of influence, there is exactly one analog clock and it hangs in our bathroom because my wife liked the way it looked. And right under it is a digital clock so I can know what time it is. Um, it's not that I'm incapable of telling time, but an analog clock simply isn't precise and I need precision in my life. Yeah. So... If one of us is broken, Greg, it's probably me. <laughs> uh, and then lastly, Brian offers a bit of trivia of his own. He says, following up on last week's show, here's some of my favorite tidbits of presidential trivia. John Tyler was president of the United States from 1841 to 1845. He was born in 1790 and died in 1862. Two of his grandsons are still still alive today in 2015. John Tyler's son, Lyon, was born in 1853, and Lyon's sons, Lyon Jr. and Harrison, were born in 1924 and 1928 and are still with us. Dude, he was a mighty spry old man. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you have to be 40 to be president. 35. So, 35, okay. Yeah. 
So he was minimum of 35 in 1841. So, and he had his sons, he died in 1862. Well, it said right there, it was 1790. Just do the math, Mark. Well, well uh, he, his son was born yeah. in 1853. Right. And he died in 1860. So he was, he was, uh, 63 years old when his son was born. Am I doing that math right? I am. No, 1790 you're not. to 1853. That's his, 63 years. Right. Yes. He was born in 1760 and then his, he was seventy yes, sixty three seventeen ninety eighteen yeah and then John Lyon was sixty nine and seventy five when his sons were born <laughs> spry old men wow that's that's that's, uh, that's some longevity in that life uh, in that uh, family right there yep seventy five when you when your kid is born I I don't I. There are comments I could make about that, but they're not fit for a family show. I guess there's hope for me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, um, and we got just a little bit of news. We'll come back to that, but first I just want to talk, like I said, this is this is the Seth show, so I want to get on. I'm going to interview our good friend Seth, and then we'll come back and do news if there's time, but I don't want to, I don't want to short Seth. Uh, so... Let's let's just start at the beginning, Seth. You are we, you've you've made mention in this show that you live in a, in the town of Fruitvale, Texas. Um, and have you been there your whole life? Uh, yes. I mean, you know, I lived. I moved away for college, and after college, I was gone for a while. But I moved back home, so that is uh, where I was. Uh, I wasn't born at the house, but that's where my parents lived when I was born, and still live there today. And you're you're not just a a geek living in your parents' basement. You're taking care of your elderly parents at this age, at this point, right? Right. Well, I don't really. I kind of. I'm more like watch over them. So you know, they are seventy. Dad is seventy eight, and mom will be seventy eight later this year. So they still can get around. But like when stuff needs to be done around the house. And, you know, make sure they don't do something stupid and give their money away to a telemarketer, um, you know, or find some long lost Nigerian prince, uh, on an email or a Facebook post. So I, I help out. I help keep the place up. And then I don't really take care of them, but I kind of watch over them and my aunt who is mentally handicapped. All right. And you, uh, um, you mentioned as, as this audience knows, we met in college. And uh, actually, we knew each other uh, through school circles uh, tangentially. We both com- competed in the same uh, inter- interscholastic competitions, things like that. But yeah. we actually met uh, sort of face to face at freshman orientation in college. So we've we've been friends that long. Um, Dude, I so remember you, you were butt man. I still remember <laughs> that. Yes, instead of Batman. Yeah, it's a long story. Uh, they they needed somebody with absolutely no shame gene to perform a skit, and that's me. Uh, <laughs> so I've uh, I yeah the the villain was the poker. There was so much double entendre; it was ridiculous. Uh, so you got a degree in computer science, right? No, yeah, uh, my degree is in counseling. And my minor is in psychology. Of course. Yeah, that qualifies me for a computer talk show and a career in computers. So how did you get from that to your career in computers? What first got you interested in computers? At what age? Um, 
you know, of course, there was computer science in high school, and uh, we had the Apple II GS when it first came out, which was this awesome thing for a while. Um, and I remember uh, we had this brand new teacher. It was her first year out of college, and this was her first job. And she was from the community, but she was older enough than me that's like she graduated high school before I got up into like middle school. So like if if I had been a year older, my eighth grade year. Well, anyway, so it was her first year back and like one of her first days in class. And the Apple II GS had this thing where you had you could easily set the language that printed out on the or the outputted to the monitor you could set the language that inputted on the keyboard and then there was another language thing that you could set there so um i ended up i ended up reprogramming the computer to like i put the output language in something like spanish and i put the input language in something like danish and then somehow i threw french in there too and uh, of course she had been an ibm pc person in her college and so it took her all day to figure out what i did and i was just more of like a tinkering kind of guy so, so what, what i hear you saying is you started your your trek down the tech world as a troll yeah, you know, little, <laughs> little kitty kind of hacker thing. So it wasn't anything big deal, but it was just, it was just fun. I didn't, I was just like, I knew what I was doing, um, because, uh, but she didn't. So, um, but yeah, it was fun. But no, in, uh, later on, and I don't know really in college why I just decided I wanted to do computers, but well, no, somebody gave me a broken computer and I couldn't fix it because there was like something component level wrong. But I, I took it apart and was able to like, anyway, I just, I like to tinker. And so I decided I can tinker on computers and uh, kind of got me started. And that's where I've been working for a while. And uh, so you, you did, after your college, you didn't pursue like a secondary degree in, in your field. You pursued a tech uh, career. Uh, you, what was your first job in tech first? Okay. My first job was I was inbound phone support for um of course you know Dell was had this really horrible reputation that every time you talked to them you got India so they had this program where you could pay extra for software support and you would speak to somebody in America and it was called the Dell software and peripheral support and uh that was my first job in computers in the computer field um is I was inbound on those calls. So I, I had this call center I went to and, you know, eight hours a day on the phone for five days a week or four, four days of 10 hours where you're just taking call after call and you're, you have to tell people, uh, you know, that you could make a 70 on the, on your score. You can make an actually an, an 80. If you got everything right, but no troubleshooting, you can make an 80. So, um, on your, on your scores and things like that were used for shift bids and pay raises and stuff. But, uh, so that was my first job in tech support. And this was during college? No, this was after college. This was, see, okay. My plan was, and I, I had it all thought out back in the late nineties, the tech support stereotype was like the ogre guy, shut up, get out of my way. Let me fix your computer and don't talk to me. So, you know, gruff kind of pocket protector, leave me alone and let me work on your computer. And so I was like, what I can do to differentiate myself 
I will have a counseling degree that will demonstrate people skills, and then I will get technical certifications, and that will demonstrate technical ability, and then that will be my inroad into the computer science or into the computer support department. And that was like right before the the tech bubble destroyed itself. And uh, so I ended up when I graduated college and looked long and hard up and down and all over around and McDonald's. I got a job at McDonald's for like two and a half years until through some circumstances, I went to a trade school and that's when I got into computers. Uh, it took me a little bit later, but that's why I ended up doing, I had my counseling degree and I got all these certs, but it just, there was this, this gap of two and a half years of me saying, would you like to supersize that? Um, and actually it wasn't so much me saying that it was me training people to say, would you like to supersize that? So. Right, because so, you were a manager at McDonald's. Yeah, I wasn't hired as a manager. My bachelor degree enabled me to take orders at the register. So apparently, <laughs> nice. I didn't have to start out on the grill and work my way up to the register. They put me on the register. Uh, woohoo! That's a bachelor's for you. But uh, yeah, and it wasn't long before I was a manager. And two and a half years I worked at McDonald's is, I think, the longest I have been employed at a single place. <laughs> Which is sad because I'm 40, I'm 43 now and, uh, two and a half years is as long as I've ever been at one child. 43 yesterday, I'd like to yes. point out. Happy yep. birthday. Thank you. Um, and, uh, so you went to, from McDonald's, you said you went to a trade school. It was one of those, uh, live and eat and breathe certification sort of places, right? It was, it wasn't just a prep or a, a, uh, prep academy. It was like, um, I had, it was the equivalent of college level courses. It was, you were meeting three nights a week for like a few months studying the Microsoft stuff. So you had somebody lecturing, you installed, you had a couple of computers there that, you know, you were connecting them to and installing Active Directory and, you know, adding stuff like that. So you weren't, it wasn't just a memorize this test, but it was, uh, you know, there was lecturing, there was books, and then there were some simulations and then there were practice tests for you to practice as well. But the thing about this school and the reason I chose this one is they had this package of all these different things. And if you did them all in one year, you would get your money back. And so uh, I was like, oh, I can do that. But after a couple of them, I ended up getting a job. And uh, so I didn't finish my schooling. Um, and uh, anyway, it turned out to be the the owners of the school were lying crooks. And uh, it took me a few years to get a refund back for the unused portion. But that's a whole other story. Uh, it got me in the door doing tech support, and then um, I, I bounced around for a while between some other jobs, and then I went and got some more schooling later on. And actually, I'm probably overdue for some for some guided education because you know it's I do better whenever I have a classroom and a teacher to say you need to because when I say oh I'm gonna learn this, don't really do it. So, so you, you, the, the camp, the place you went to offered, uh, instructor plus a lab 
plus supporting documents. That sounds a lot like our friends over at the linuxacademy.com where they offer all of those things too, but you don't have to go to California to get them. You can do them right there from the comfort of your own living room where they offer the, the lecture in the form of step-by-step video courses. They offer the, the labs in the form of their amazing lab infrastructure where you get up to four machines running simultaneously on Amazon's cloud in a protected, safe, and super fast environment. Uh, they offer the the uh, the study guides that you talked about, the practice exams. They offer all those things at, at a fraction of the cost of, I'm guessing, Seth, something like you did. So rough numbers. What did you pay for the services you, you got, Seth? Let me see. This was early... When did I do this? Early 2000s, 2002, 2003, and it was $14,000. So you could, you could be a member of the Linux Academy for, um, 140 years. <laughs> the cost of what you paid for there because at linuxacademy.com the most you'll ever pay is $25 a month that's their one month fee but like anything else if you buy in bulk if you buy a quarter you buy three months it's only $65 that's a $10 a month discount right there if you buy annually it's $215 a year so to get to $14,000 for 204 uh, $200 a year uh, so that is uh 70 years yeah, so 70 years of Linux Academy or the uh, six months that Seth went to to school there. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe 70 months, I think. Is that, it can't be said. No, it's $200 a year, $14,000. Okay. Wow, yeah, okay. That just, that, yeah, you know, that was, when, when I didn't have, I didn't have any money and I didn't really have much of a job. So the option of getting all of it, of being able to go for free was the big thing when all I really should have done was taken the base package and then got in the, got my foot in the door and then go on from there. But yeah, you know, live and learn. And I've made plenty of stupid financial decisions <laughs> in my life. That was not the first, nor was it even close to being the last, nor was it the most expensive one I ever did. So. Uh, so Seth, Seth made his mistake, uh, learning in the windows world. You can save, uh, learn from his mistake by learning in the Linux world, uh, from our friends over at linuxacademy.com. If you go to linuxacademy.com slash element OP, uh, excuse me, slash everyday Linux, uh, you get a special rate even over what I just discussed. Snuck an ad in there in case you didn't notice. So you went to, uh, you went to California, you stayed there for months, you paid $14,000 and then you came back and you started working tech support at Dell. No, California was my second round of schooling. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, no, that was in 2005 or 6, I think, 2005. Um, but yeah. And so you've got was, several uh, certifications, including an MCSE, right? Yes. Uh, actually, actually, I think later this year, my last MCSEs will expire because I had 2000 and 2003, and uh, I think I actually had a total of four. Because you could get with certain courses or with certain exams, you could get, um, an MCSE security or MCSE whatever. And so, um, I never updated to the 2008 or 2012. So my MCSEs will go away when 2003 is, when it, when it is officially no longer supported, Microsoft no longer recognizes the certifications that they entail. So. I'm about to lose. Uh, I'll still have some of my CompTIA stuff and CIW, but um, I'll, I'll have lost my MCSEs. 
So at some point in that process, some guy you know who worked for a school district called you up and said, hey, I need somebody to work for me. Uh, tell me about that experience. Yeah, it was cool. I was um, I was working in Louisville, which is like about 90 miles from my house. And it was a cool job. Um, had I stayed there, I probably would have moved to Louisville. But um, Mark called me up and said, hey, I need a guy and I'll pay this much, which was actually, it was almost the exact salary I was making, but it was only like 85 miles. Ooh, to, uh, five miles. <laughs> but it wasn't through rush hour traffic both ways. So uh, even though it was only like five miles shorter, it saved an hour. I saved more than an hour on my day in driving. And it was through the country and it got me in the education field. And it was something I... You know, you know, a lot of people like want to be a manager or, or whatever. And maybe some point, but I actually enjoy helping the end user. So, you know, whether it was in your education, you're helping teachers or on the phone, you're helping people or tech support. I do now I'm helping the people in the law firm. I enjoy helping them fix their computer or resolve their issues because they can't figure out how to do it on their computer. That's. One of the reasons I love what I do is that's what I like to do is I, I like computers and I like to help people. So I like helping people with their computers. Uh, sometimes it's frustrating whenever it's like, have you tried turning it off and back on? Yes. And then I go there. I was like, you, you realize you haven't rebooted this machine in two weeks. Oh, well, okay. Let me reboot. And then, well, what do you know? It works. So, um, but yeah, but I enjoy that. So it, it is. It's fun. It's what I do for fun. So I like it. So you worked for me for a year and then you got a job paying more money, only 30 miles away from home and, and went there. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and I remember I made a deal with you, uh, to work the, the whole of that second year for that old laptop computer that was like also a tablet. And then out of the blue, I got a, I found out about the other job in Greenville, which was, it was like, I think it was 40 miles from my house, but. No, you went to Wills Point first. Hold, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Golly. I know your story better than you do. You do. You do know my story better than me. But yeah, I went to Wills Point because another friend of ours knew yeah. they needed uh, a tech person and happened to know me. And so ended up, uh, I went to work there kind of. Not in the middle of the semester, but, um, and so, so I, I got to tell you the story. So it's, it's the end of summer. Uh, we're wrapping up. Um, uh, I think it was a, a, a Labor Day. There was some, some reason, maybe it's Independence Day, but I had, I had barbecued and I brought Seth some leftover ribs because I love my, my, my friend Seth. <laughs> and so we were sitting down eating some leftover ribs. Uh, just enjoying each other's company at the, after the end of a, uh, or maybe in the middle of a long day. His phone rings. He answers it, wipes the grease off his fingers first, steps out of the room for a minute, comes back and says, well, I just took another job. And I was like, give me my freaking ribs back. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, he, uh, he dropped that bomb on me. Um, and it was one of those, it was just like when, when I called you to work, it was, uh, the perfect situation at the right time. Uh, your contract, your yearly contract with me was just ending like within a couple of days. So it was a perfect scenario for you. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it wasn't like I left for just a, it was a lot more money. It was like 50% more money and it was like his third of close. So all of a sudden, and it was weird. I mean, I was only, I was driving like 
20 minutes from my, from my house to my office. And it was like, I, what do I do? It's like, I'm just getting in my car and all of a sudden I was at work. So it was a little strange. So you know, you've had various jobs from there. I don't want to go to every job, but, but I got you in, uh, the education, uh, from education, you bounced around for a while and then somehow ended up working at a lawyer where you work now. Um, uh, what's the story there? Um, I, I have never had a lot of luck going out and interviewing for a job or applying for the job. So what I do is I like to go through temp agencies and Robert Half Technology. Actually, I went to a luncheon, like there was a, like a, you know, a computer professional networking luncheon. And I just decided I'm going to go to that. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that, um, I had this podcast I was doing called Everyday Linux and there, there were like, of all the people there, it's like 60% of the people were record, were re, uh, what's the word? Recruiters. And then like 40% were technology professionals. So they heard the word Linux and it didn't matter what else I said after that. So I had all of these cards and it was about, I think three months from the date of that dinner before I had this job. And it was cool because they found they did all the lead work. I showed up for the interview and then they offered me the job. And so I was like, Hey, that's cool. So it's making for me, it's making more money than I've made before. And the drive is right at the limit of how far <laughs> I would like. I, it takes me less than an hour and a half to get to work. And that's because there's a little bit of traffic there. Um, but you know, it, my parents worked in Dallas. Uh, so, and when I was a kid, they would drop me off at my grandparents who lived in Dallas and there's nothing around Fruitvale. And that's not as true as it used to be. But if you were going to go eat or go see a movie, you're looking at an hour drive. So if you live out in the country, you just, you city people are thinking, I don't understand it. But if you live in the country, you know, if you're going to go somewhere, you've got to go somewhere. You know, you can't walk down the street and hit 10 right. different restaurants and movie theater. Uh, you got to drive someplace. And that's just, and that's also part of the Texas culture. Right. Texas is very car driven. I, I, you know, I amaze people here in Atlanta where it's a, it's a commuter city, but everything is really packed in. It's one of the things right. I like to, uh, the comparisons when we talk about the traffic here in Atlanta, it's roughly the same population as the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex but in half the square miles. So everything's really packed in. And you know, and from a, for a Texan, you'll drive 4 hours for lunch. You know, if if it's a good steak, sure. Um it's a very car culture. So yeah, when you're if you're judging Seth for being this polluting gas hog driving 90 minutes to work, I, I drive 23 miles and some days it's 90 minutes. So it just depends on on where you are and, and what you do. But I didn't I didn't want to uh, gloss over the fact that Linux skills got you the job you have today. We talk about it all the time on the show that that Linux skills when I do my Linux Academy ads, I talk about that too. The odd, the, the thing is, the, the reality is, and Seth is living proof, that simply mentioning the word Linux can get you job offers. Yeah. And, you know, and granted, I didn't get hired in a Linux position, but when he was going through, you know, if you, there's, they throw these questions at you. And it was like, I knew, th I didn't know them all, but I knew enough that they could tell I didn't just go through and do a keyword search. So, right. you know, if you say it, you'll get nibbles. And if you know anything, you know, you'll get some hits and then you can kind of go from there. So. And so that's, that's your, your work career and your education career. So that's the, the side of you that, 
that we, you know, tech wise on this podcast. What I what I want to ask you though is you've you've said several times I like computers. Um, I, I know you well enough to really answer this question, but for for the the audience, what what is your passion? Is computing your passion? You know, it is really not because like when I come home, to me a computer is a tool it's it's not the world i live in i mean i'm familiar with it because it's my job but it, it's like a tool you know you wouldn't say i'm into hammers and uh you know it's like i use a hammer at my job i use a computer at my job when i'm at home and i'm on the computer uh, i'm like i'm playing stupid games like browser-based stuff or uh, what i've been doing lately is some reading from my computer because i didn't have my paperbacks with me but the um i love to read I'm mostly a fiction reader, passionate about that, but being a Christian is very important to me. So I do some, I haven't in a while, but some teaching and preaching occasionally, but that's really the driving thing. And then I like to not make big long trips, but I like to drive around and discover places. It's like, it's, and really a lot of it carries over into my online life. I hate being told this is what you will like. Deal with it. I was like, no, I want to find out what I like. I want to go here and say, I love that. Or, you know, this was a busted trip. I don't want somebody to tell me based on your four responses over here. Here's all the stuff (laughs) you'll like. And I'm like, leave me the bleep alone. Get off my lawn. So, uh, but I enjoy the discovery aspect of life and, uh, so, I mean, sometimes it's a little scary, but like I say, I, I also, I, it's, it sounds weird to say, but I enjoy being a Christian. Uh, I'm not, I, I was that bad, you know, everybody's going to hell but me for a while. I, I, I call it, uh, you know, I use terms and don't, let, let me explain this, but I call it the, the Pope is the Antichrist phase of Christianity and, what I mean by that is you go through this phase to where everybody is wrong and nobody's as holy or righteous as you and all these organized religions, they've messed up. And if they would just listen to you, then the world would be perfect. And then luckily that's a very early stage in Christian development that a lot of people seem to get stuck at. But I got through that eventually because I had some friends basically say, you're an idiot. And then I went, no, I'm not. And then, Oh, guys, I was an idiot back there. So, um, but yeah, you know, so it's just, it's growing up and knowing yourself better. So, so Seth and I, as I said, we've known each other 25 years now. And there was a period of about three years there. We, it's not that we were not speaking to each other, but we intentionally chose not to spend time together because our religious beliefs had differed so significantly that we, we couldn't, we couldn't have common ground anymore. Um, so th- during that phase, he, he was, he was so, um, single-minded that it even affected his friendship with me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just, it was one of those, had we communicated much during that time, we probably wouldn't be friends today. So it was like, Hey, we're friends, but Hey friend over there. And then, you know, basically, golly, I was an idiot. So, and, uh, but yeah, you know, luckily, luckily I, I had good friends that could see past that when I, when I came out the other side. So you said that that you you really like being a Christian. Um what what does that mean? What is a Christian? Well, I mean again, this is this isn't Christianity 101 podcast, but 
uh, I, you know, it's, it's not the religious thing of, you know, you, you go to church and things like that, but it's, you know, and, and just putting it basically, you know, that you need help to get through life. And Jesus is, you know, some people say a crutch, but it's not a crutch. It's more of a security blanket because I can't handle life by myself, even though I'm kind of a loner type person. It's, I know I need someone bigger than me to help me get through life. And that answers Jesus. And, you know, I'm, if somebody else, if somebody doesn't believe that, you know, that's fine. I, I've got over the pushy, haha, you'll be roasting in hell while I'm in heaven for all eternity kind of aspect. But to me, it's the answer that made sense. It's, it's how, it's how I cope. It's how I measure. It's how I look at things. Uh, sometimes I don't do a very good job of looking at them that way, but it's the lens I try to view life through and try to interact and, you know, challenges me to be a better person and not because I'm not the arbitrator of what's right or wrong. It's not up to me to decide what's right. You know, it's up to me to either, you know, search the scriptures, seek counsel from other Christians to figure out what's going on and what's right in the world. So I, and just the community aspect of Christianity, um, is something I really enjoy. You know, you, you can take people from vastly different, whether it be a different country, a different region in a country, a different, different lights or tastes. But if, if you can have the bond of being a Christian, then you can experience so much more of life because you're interacting with someone that is outside of your culture. But, and then you can see that, you know, that that's the way I've done things and that's the way people around me do things. That doesn't mean that doing it a different way isn't also right. And so what I've, what I've learned is it's not so much that the way I did it was right and the way other people did it was wrong, or it's just like, that's the way I did it, but it doesn't make it wrong that it's done a different way. Does that make sense? Uh, more or less. Yeah. I, okay. Just a, a message to the listener. I, I, this isn't a setup. This isn't a, a ploy for Mark and Seth to start preaching on a Linux podcast. The, the show, as, as stated from the beginning, is about Seth and, and who he is. And he, he said that the thing he enjoys most, his passion, and is, is being a Christian. So I wanted to know from him, what does that mean to him? If you had asked me that question, I would have given a different answer. But that's you know, that's, I, I just didn't, it kind of felt like a setup there. <laughs> so right. I wanted to explain that it wasn't. Um, cause I asked, I asked Chris the same thing when I interviewed him. What is your passion? What is your thing, uh, that you do? So, so with regard to, with Christianity here, there, whatever, what, what is the thing, like, if I ask you to name one thing you could not live the rest of your life without, what would that be? Be it a, a thing, a tangible thing, or an activity, or or a thought, or whatever it is, what what could you just literally not live without? I have to read, and I don't mean that I have to read my Bible every day, but I enjoy reading. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, what to me, if you watch TV, you can just kind of mindlessly sit there with this idiot box going and just destroying your mind. But whenever you read, you're 
you're playing it out in your mind and you are, I'm engaged in so much more than hearing. Like, you know, it's nice to listen, but I just, I enjoy reading. And if I, you know, there's lots of things that if you took that away, it's like, I w- but it's like, if I couldn't read, um, I, I don't know, that would be, of course, I mean, if I went blind, I would have to learn Braille or something because uh, I would probably go crazy, but I just enjoy I enjoy reading and like there's some people who binge watch like haha I watched all I watched the entire season of Netflix staying up it's like big deal I read three books this weekend so uh, I'm a binge reader I will uh I don't read every day but when I do read it's not uncommon for me to read till three o'clock and then you know get up at 5 30 and go to work and be miserable the next day and then repeat so uh so it that the is it the story or is it the the physical tactile act? I mean, we've talked about the fact that you love the the holding of a book, but what is it that's right. so addictive to you? You know, mostly it's 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 the story and the reading fiction, um, and and it doesn't. I prefer sci-fi, like you know, not fantasy, but actual sci-fi. But it doesn't have to be sci-fi. But I love the story and I love it playing out in my mind, and then. I'm, I'm sure everybody else does this, but as I think about the book, I like imagine myself interposed in the events and, and how they would play out. So it fuels my imagination, which I mean, I'm too much of that's obviously a bad thing, but the seeing them, seeing it in my head is, uh, is awesome. And then later pretending like I'm a part of it. Um, which I guess that sounds kind of sad, but I, I don't know. It's just, I enjoy doing that. And, and to me, I can, I can see the characters and it's weird because, you know, like I'll watch a movie and then all of a sudden it's, it's like, wait a minute. No, that's, they didn't do that. Right. right. And, and that's one of the reasons like I, I love the first Avengers is because it was characters I was familiar with, but it wasn't just reading something. It wasn't seeing something I had already read. It took those characters and it kind of put them in a different situation and how they would react. And that was cool because in a lot of ways you're like, Oh, that's my imagination on screen. So, um, you know, and that's what I loved about Stargate, Stargate SG-1. I had actually wrote some, uh, for in college, there was a, I took astronomy and one of the assignments was write a, a page about something. And so I went through this, um, article of, uh, this group of people who went in a pyramid. Uh, it was a military group of people that went in a pyramid and came out in another world. And then later I'm watching Stargate. I go, that's my imagination on screen. So it was really cool. Um, but yeah, so I love reading. And, and you said that your preferred genre is fiction. Do you do you read uh, biographies, histories, uh, things like that? You know, I do. Um, like I read one called last the the last nonfiction book I read was called Last Stand of the Tin Can Soldiers. It was about the Battle of Leyte Gulf, and the the first like three quarters of the book. I mean, it was it was. It's like, this is what happened whenever the Japanese sailed through the straits. And the only thing were these, uh, you know, escort battle or these escort destroyers staying against them. And so it's, it's the story of, you know, the Samuel B. Roberts and how they went out to fight the enemy. And from the, uh, um, p- people who were there, 
and you could see it and it was as well written as any fiction. You know, there's, there's a lot of times when people write fiction, it has to make sense. But when you write the truth, it's like, wait a minute. But no, it was, he did such a wonderful job of taking the stories of the survivors and weaving them into an account and piecing them in the order. And it was just like, you could see the, you could see this little tiny destroyer fighting these cruisers and battleships hopelessly outgunned. And it was just, it was amazing to just, I mean, you're reading words on a page, but you're watching this ship go through the water, sailing to a certain death, uh, to protect the people who had, I mean, you know, it would be like, well, anyway, it was just, it was just awesome because, you know, you're watching them go through the waves. You're watching the enemy shoot them. You're watching them fire at the enemy and the enemy shocked because this little tiny, this little tiny ship is charging them and they don't know what's going on. And just in anyway, I love the stories. Obviously. Yeah. I, I think humanity, I'm, I'm going to speak for a while because Seth is obviously parched and <laughs> needs a break. <laughs> uh, I think humanity in general is, uh, story is built into us. We tell stories. You go to a, a, a party and what you will see is a group of people standing in clusters telling each other stories. Uh, that's how we communicate. We are allegorical beings. We learn from the past. We project the future. Everything we do is a story. And and I think one of the greatest skills in life is to be able to tell an entertaining story. The The, the people who become celebrities are the people who tell stories or act out stories. Um and and what Seth is saying there, you know, the this charge there, you know from from the beginning how it's going to end because it happened fifty years ago, sixty years ago, whatever it was. You you know, uh, and just like you know, watching Star Wars, right? You know that when when Luke and Darth Vader are fighting, Luke's not going to die. We you know that because he's the hero, but that doesn't change the the sense of peril when you're in it, right? And right. you're reading a story, a, a history, a well written history. Um, you know that the South is going to lose the Civil War, but if a, a well, uh, an author is writing the story well and telling it well, you, you're on the side of the rebels thinking maybe they can pull this thing off, even though you know that, that they can't. Uh, so right. yeah, I like, I, I think you, you consume your stories in the form of, of reading. Uh, not everybody does, but I think humanity is designed uh, or or however you want to put whatever you believe we evolved to be whatever it is um, we are storytelling story consuming creatures and that's evident in our in our media it's all about stories uh, and the the best storyteller wins uh, so you you prefer the science fiction you like to put yourself into the future um, do you prefer utopian or dystopian stories um you know I I prefer kind of dystopian, um, and, or really it's, you know, to me, I, there's the, everything is perfect and those stories are really not good because really nothing is perfect. There's always something dystopian, but I like the more things to where there wasn't a cataclysmic thing, but it's just like the course has continued. And so it's not so much dystopian or utopian. It's more like, kind of future history kind of the way it's told so i mean some dystopian i probably prefer that more because in some ways it's easier to tell the classic either man versus man or man versus nature or something you know you can isolate some aspects of it but 
I prefer the more these people could be alive today and they just happen to be in a future where the, the, uh, the ships are going through space instead of through the water. Uh, and that's like the only difference. So I don't, but then again, you know, like I say, I enjoy good history too. And when I was younger, I loved fantasy. I've kind of gotten away from that. Um, I, I don't know why, just because, um, but yeah, I mean, when I was listening to Chris's show, it was like, dude, I used to, I used to play D and D all the time. And so, but I guess because I kind of moved away from D and D, I also kind of uh, lumped in fantasy and everything and just kind of moved away from it. So uh, to going back to a thread was, was your move away from fantasy and D and D related to your jerk Christianity phase? No, it was more, um, if you've ever seen the movie Mazes and Monsters, you know, it saw, saw Tom Hanks at an early age. I could have been him. So, uh, it was, uh, I, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when I read, I binge read, you know, when I play games, I binge play. I just, I, I have a tendency to get too wrapped up into stuff. And so I was getting too wrapped up into it. Um, and, uh, so I just kind of quit. And then because I kind of, chose to starve that so I wouldn't get so wrapped up in it. I just kind of quit reading the fantasy kind of sword and sorcery swashbuckler kind of stuff as well. So it wasn't so much, you know, I mean, I was a Christian before I started playing D and D and, and I would still argue that all that is, is imagination and much like anything, you can go overboard on anything. Um, but all right. so no, it, it, it did not, it precluded my jerk phase. Because, uh, you know, that's a, again, going back to the, the Christianity thing, that the story arc that you told of your, your faith, uh, be it Christianity or Hinduism or Vicanism or any other ism, um, the people tend to go through a predictable arc. And the right. jerk phase is in that arc, right? Uh, there are jerk vegans too who, you know, I, I hate you because you eat meat. Um, most of the people who stick, stick with whatever ism it is, get past that and realize that they were jerks. Um, and many people I've known in their jerk Christian phase, uh, spoke against, uh, Dungeons and Dragons specifically because of all the demonic forces and whatever. And I just wondered if that was, that was you too. You just, you were worried that you couldn't pull yourself out of it if you didn't stop now. It was sort of an interventional moment for you. Right. Yeah. see that so um you know that's that's your past and your present what do you, what is the future of seth if you can write your world and and do what and things would become come out the way you wanted them where do you want to be you know you're 43 now 22 years when you're 65 what what a 65 year old seth look like what is he doing where is he dude uh you know it, it's one of those things to where I don't know if it's a, but I would, I keep saying I would love to do this, but I do really nothing to prepare for this. But the thought of being like a security, like a, a computer slash networking security person, penetration tester, that type of person that appeals to me. Like I love to do logic puzzles and stuff like that and just trying to figure out how to stop something or how to do something. You know, I, I went through the, I'm a brilliant phase and now I just like, I enjoy it, whether I'm good at it or not, I'll let someone else decide, but I would love to do that. Um, somehow, some way that be my job to say, 
hey, Google, I figured out 17 different ways I can hack your system and this is what you need to do to fix it um, kind of thing. I, I, I will come back to that, but I want to touch on what you said. You, you went through the your brilliant phase. Um, I, I know you. You're you're a smart guy. You're you're a top probably two or three percent of the world guy. Uh, I would suspect that most of our audience um, trends that way. Um, you know, if you're if you're into Linux, if you're into podcasting, you're probably uh, smarter than the people around you. Uh, you know, but that's an arrogant thing to say, but it's probably also true. Sometimes arrogance has a basis. Um, and I and I know you, Seth. You you are a brilliant guy. You have spent most of your life being smarter than most of the people around you. Um, do you feel how how do you feel if you've ever thought about it that that realization, looking around and saying I'm smarter than the people around me, how has that shaped who you are? You know, it it made me arrogant when I was younger, but I didn't have to try. And so when I got to a level where I needed to put forth the effort, I didn't know how to do it. And so being smarter than everybody else, where it's like you can kind of glance and hit the high points and you can just kind of pay attention to this or pay attention to that and you pick it up quicker. Um, it gets you through the elementary stuff without teaching you the tools to get to the point to where your genius runs out. And so I'm really hamstrung in a lot of ways because I never learned the study habits. And even today, I don't, I mean, I enjoy reading, but like when I dive into a, a technical manual of whether it be, you know, a new program or how this works, it's like, it's like, you know, if I was ever wanted to go to sleep, I just need to read a technical manual and that will put me out because it's just like, I don't care. You know, I'll just, I'll go back and flip burgers. But, uh, so when I was, when I was younger, you know, it was like, all those people in high school who had to study to, you know, trying to be the valedictorian or salutatorian, you know, and I walked into the ACT right when it was started. And, you know, it's like you have a 90 minute test. I finished in 15 minutes. And I still remember this when I took my ACT, did the math section, you know, I was, I was, I would go through and like that one was A. That one was B. Well, I'm going to put C, D, E just to finish the pattern. I would do that some. And, but then I would finish everything and I, I would close. I remember I closed my book. I put my pencil down and I, uh, I moved it, you know, just cause I didn't want anybody to think I was cheating. And then I picked one of the monitors up front and I just stared at them. I didn't, you know, cause you can't get up and go to the bathroom or go get a drink. You have to sit in your seat doing nothing. You know, you can't look around because you might be cheating. So I picked one of them and I just, I stared at her and I, I didn't blink. I didn't look at any of it. I just looked at her and eventually she got so upset that she had to get up and leave just because I was looking at that. Because I mean, what are, what are you going to do? You know, you have 90 <laughs> There's minutes. There's that to, troll again. <laughs> you have 90 minutes to take a test that you can finish in 15. So you've got 75 minutes. I can't pull a book out and read like they can. I just have to sit there with my hands clasped, not looking around, looking straight ahead of me at one of the um, proctors, uh, just because, you know, I wasn't cheating. I wasn't, I was just looking straight ahead. And, uh, so it, you know, it, you, you're smart, you get places, but then you run into a wall that I hit the first time in college. And that's why I made all four lists in college. I got academic probation. I got academic suspension. 
But then when I got my act together, I made the dean's list and the president's list when I graduated. So, um, so being, being smart is great, but you know, being dedicated, probably it takes you longer, but you'll probably end up going further. I hit three of those four lists myself. I was never suspended, but I did the other two. Um, uh, that's an interesting lesson, a younger audience, um, and maybe older people who haven't learned this yet being when everything comes easy for you, you'd never learn the skill of hard work. Yeah. Um, and for my, my skill of hard work came, you know, in a different venue. It was the physical labor. It was the earning. It was the supporting myself. But I do think that is one of the critical elements for any any anybody anybody certainly any american who wants to to exist in our culture and be successful has to be willing and able to work hard now it you you also need need to know when working hard is the dumb thing work smart instead of working hard you you need to be able to recognize the both uh, both of those things but you also have to be willing and you have to know the skills of working really hard and and when you're super smart you don't you don't always learn those skills so the arrogant punk 15 year old listening right now who looks around and says i'm smarter than everyone around me including my teachers and my parents we know what you're thinking you're probably right but that doesn't necessarily mean you're doing yourselves any favor yeah because you might have more raw it raw brain power but you know big deal you won't know you know you won't know what to do it's you know you see it who are the best players in sports? Is it the people with the most talent? They might look great doing the dunks, but usually the people who are the best are the ones who have chosen to work diligently at it. Now, when the best choose to work, it's something special. But, you know, you can coast so far and then, you know, you'll get run over from behind in yeah. any field if you're smart. And yeah, that's that's Michael Jordan. He he was brilliantly gifted and worked hours every day, and and he transcended everyone around him. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a that's a good message. Uh, so I had another. There was something that we were going to uh, talk about, uh, and I, I said we'd come back to it, and I don't remember what it was to you. <laughs> I mean, we had talked about doing news, but we don't have to. No, um, there was something you said, and I said oh. I I want we'll come back to that, but I want to do this first, and then I forgot what it was. So the security, the working, that was probably it. The penetration testing. Oh. Um so you that well, I think that's interesting because that the the thing that you picked right, and I said you could write your own world. You right. picked a thing where you are an elite, and you're telling people they're wrong. That I'm not making a judgment, but that's a that's a central part of who you are. You, you want to be right and not only be right, but tell other people that they're wrong. Would, would you say that's an effective, uh, an accurate assessment? No, I mean, I want to protect people. So, you know, it's like, I want to show you but, where you're vulnerable. Yeah. And I, I, again, I, I probably made that sound more condescending than I meant to, but by you, you, again, you want to be right and tell other people that they're wrong. the, the it doesn't mean that you're being a jerk about it you're you're being helpful about it you're being but that it's that education thing that we already touched on earlier uh you you enjoy working with people and talking with people uh but you also it's important to you that you have something in your hip pocket that they don't i yeah i would agree with that i uh yeah i i could see that so yeah Do, and again because you're so smart it doesn't happen often do you find yourself uncomfortable among your superiors? 
I, for example, you know, like, okay, I work in a law firm. So there's people who are, I'm sure they're super awesome lawyers, but I just, I don't like being around them. Um, I don't know just because, you know, I'm not like the upper, uh, upper class people. I'm more middle class kind of guy, but you know, I don't have anything to say and I don't like, I don't, yeah. I, cause I don't like being a part of something where I don't know what's going on. It's one thing if I'm trying to learn what's going on and I just haven't figured it out yet, but like, I don't know what they're talking about and I don't care. So just go away. So probably. And, you know, because I was one of the smarter kids in school, that didn't happen a lot. So where I was right. among people who, you know, could best me and everything. Like I remember, um, I would do things like I would take on the entire class in chess. So, and I would usually win because I, I knew how to play and they only knew how the pieces moved. So I, I'm a pretty decent chess player. Seth kicks the snot out of me every time we play. So I just, just want to say, uh, and, and, and again, I want to, I want to clear the air of, of arrogance out of this whole discussion here. Let's, let's just be adults and talk about it. Seth is a genius level IQ. I mean, there, he has a piece of paper saying so. Um, and, and it, we're not being, we're not being arrogant and discussing it. It's just, it's a, it's a much a part of who, who he is as anything else. And so I just wanted to get that out there. Uh, I'm asking what may seem like uncomfortable or leading questions, but it's all in the, 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 under the purpose of, of getting to know him better. So he, you grew up being smarter than everyone, you know, and then you, you came, it's, I, I, I liken it to, um, the NFL, Right, so you've got this standout college player who's better than everybody in the state, and then he goes to the the uh, uh, excuse me, uh, high school player, standout high school player. I think I said college. Then he goes to college, and he's there's like five of him instead of one in the whole state. There's five on his team, right? But he's right. still the best. Then he goes to the NFL and he finds out that everybody there is as good as him. The entire team is built around people who were the best in the state at what they did. Um, and that's when you find these people who, you know, it's very rare somebody who performs at, at superstar levels right out of the gate at the NFL. The reason is they've hit that level. They found everybody who's as good or even better than they are. And your moment, you said for you, when you got to that point was you got to college and you started being challenged. Um, right. and, and it wasn't that you couldn't do the work. It was just that you didn't have the skills. You hadn't prepared yourself to do the work. So yeah. you got through that. Do you feel now that you have you had another experience like that post college? You know, I mean, it's more like, you know, I I realized that my the the core IT skill set that I used to get me to my platform is, I mean, okay, it's pretty much obsolete, and the stuff I've built on it that's kind of getting obsolete too. I've got to the point to where I have to go in and retrain, whether that's, you know, I, I buckle down and I commit to the Linux Academy and I just say, okay, an hour a day when I get home, I'm, I'm going to do that. Or, you know, Hey, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to get a degree and whatever. Uh, it's kind of like a lot of what you were talking about, the, the neuroplasticity thing last week. I need to, I need to re-engage in education just for, you know, career, personal life things. And so I see myself at that point and I just, 
you know, I'm not quite where I have to yet. And unless I have, like, I would write my research papers in college, like, a lot of times the day before they were due, um, or in some cases a couple of hours before they were due and do okay. But I just, I work better under the gun. So, um, you know, in, uh, but yeah, so I need to do that. I need to re-engage my learning centers right. that I really haven't had to because I learned what I knew, what I did so well that I didn't have to really learn anything new for quite a while and still be able to get by. And then I had a basis to kind of go, but now I've got to kind of, here, here's a good word for you. I've got to pivot my skills in order to align with the current direction of technology. You got it. That's one of the things I like about the technology field is you're never done because right. technology is never done. You're always having to learn. I like that about that. I, yeah, I, I, I could, I could say, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, lawyers, but I would say you could reach a point in law where you're done. You have to keep abreast of case law, but, but, you know, you're, you're done. You, 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 you refresh yourselves on the few new laws or changes to the law, but you're not constantly having to learn something entirely new. Technology isn't like that. The technology that we will be, uh, um, experts on in five years don't exist right now. Right. And that's exciting to me. Yeah, it was like, you know, when I was in high school, I loved uh business classes and like I took accounting and I was I was really good at it. And uh but, you know, assets always equal liability and uh owner's equity or capital depending on which words you learned. And that's always going to be the case, you know, you're just learning the computer system of how to enter it in, but the stuff you learn in accounting, it's still accounting. And uh but the stuff you learn in computers all of a sudden it's like, uh, we don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, you need, you don't have a job here unless you learn something new. It's not like you don't have a job here unless you relearn accounting. Uh, so. All right. So I'll ask you the question I always get, ask everybody that I interview. If, if nobody listened to anything else, but the next two minutes of the show, what's the one thing that you would want them to walk away with? I have no idea. Um, I, um, it is cool to, one of, one of the things I do on this show, um, I, I listen to, uh, you know, the phrase, I eat my own dog food and I listen to the podcast and I, I hope people realize that the, the, uh, buffoonery slash try appearing stupid. A lot of that is just more, that's the stick I play and that's not necessarily who I am. So I would like to think I'm at least a little smarter than I come off being on the podcast. And that's true. We, we have adopted characters on this show and, and we're, right. we're generally, we're genuine, honest people and we're never, uh, the, everything that we do is an aspect of who we are, right. but I'm not really as bombastic and arrogant at work every day as I am here on the show. I'd get fired if I was, right. uh, that's, that's a part of my personality that I play up for the show. Seth isn't really as, um, as much of a country bumpkin as he plays on the show, uh, because he's being a foil to me. Um, again, that's an aspect of the, sh- of the, of his character. So yeah, uh, that's a, that's a good thing to point out. You're, you are who you are this hour and a half or two hours every week is a part of who you are, but not right. of who you are. Yeah. So, you know, like I say, hope people realize that. And and I hope that you have a diff, uh, a better understanding of this man that you have listened to for 
hundreds of hours now. If you've if you've listened to our catalog of work, if you've been with us for the uh, three or four years, whatever it is now, I don't even know. Um, you 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 feel that you know this guy. I hope that that I have done my job in teasing out more about who he is, and I hope that you understand him better. And if you have comments or questions uh, as about this or anything else, you can always contact us at elementopi.com. Use the contact us button at the top of the page. Send an email, uh, edl at elementopi.com, or call us if you want to be on the show, 559-IMOPI. Uh, leave us a voice on our Google Voice number. Um, I don't. I don't want to do any any news we're already really long uh is that was there one thing like the this week in history or anything that you wanted to be sure you hit or your close seth's close, show closing spectacular what do you want to um do? i tell you what let's i came across this youtube video today and you just have to watch it so this is uh my show closing spectacular link of the week you have to have sound uh, if you don't have sound don't watch it but you have to have it. It's it's awesome. <laughs> okay, I, again, I can't listen to it um while we're while we're doing the show. Uh but the the, the title of it is Laws's Magnificent Seven Tone Fart Symphony. Um welcome back to 8th grade. Sorry. I I do we I do have a low sense of humor, a very low brow sense of humor. Uh I I I have to apologize for that sometimes, but, um, but yes, I do think this is funny. So, but the way he did it is awesome. So you, you have to listen to it and then see the explanations. It is great. And, and I will when we get off the, I can't, like I said, I can't, I can't do that audio in this audio. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> that is a slice of Seth right there was his seven tone fart symphony. Um, I guess that's it. Uh, the only thing left to say is, uh, um, thanks for listening, Seth. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for being so honest. I, I know I, I, I asked some rather pointed questions in maybe some embarrassing ways. I, I, I hope you understand that was not my intent. I didn't mean to embarrass you, but I appreciate your honesty and openness. And, um, and I, you know, I, I love you and I want this audience to love you in the way that I do. So. Thanks for being here. Um, if you guys want to want them to want Chris and Seth to interview me in this way, uh, let us know. Uh, I as again as bombastic as I as I pretend to be, I'm like Seth. I'm kind of uncomfortable talking about myself. Um, I would rather be the the character than the person. Uh, but if if you want to do it, then we'll do an all about Mark show. Let me know. Uh, maybe you've hated both of these. Um, let, let me know that too. Uh, so again. With this show is is driven by your feedback in more ways than I think most people realize. Uh, but next week we'll be back to uh, our regular scheduled uh, program. We'll do uh, probably a lot of news since uh, you know Seth Seth brought that whole element to the show. We we didn't do a news segment, um, and he brought it, and it's become like the biggest part of the show. And I think what makes us super relevant and God, I catch myself using the word super far too often it's what's made us more relevant than we were and made the shows more timely uh because again you can get the news anywhere but we get to comment on them and that's what i like about it so we'll do a heavy news show next week because we've missed it with seth being gone uh and then uh if you have a, a somebody that you want us to interview if you have a distro that you want us to review we did have a request for a distro review uh, i think chris is going to be working on that in the near future uh, but again, let us know what you think 
because this the, what you think drives this show in very big ways. So uh, having said all that, I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.